0: You're listening to Beyond Modern Medicine, a podcast with a mission to educate and spread awareness on holistic practices for your mental health and physical well being, from traditional Chinese medicine to psychedelic assisted therapy. We'll be talking to the experts in the fields of medicine, psychology, anthropology, philosophy, science, and more to learn about their perspective on healing the mind and body beyond modern medicine. My name is Nadia Hassan, and I'm the founder of Zaya a digital health platform empowering people to take charge of their own health by helping them find holistic mental health support and care. All right, joining with me in this episode of Beyond Modern Medicine is Katie Beecher, medical and spiritual intuitive and licensed professional counselor with over 30 years experience. Katie has a unique way of working with clients where she creates an extremely accurate four-page detailed physical, emotional, and spiritual report as well as symbolic paintings of her clients before ever even seeing them, talking with them, or seeing a photograph of them while only using their name and their age. Now this is where it gets really interesting. Katie's accuracy was published in an article in the peer-reviewed International Journal of Healing and Caring after client surveys physician, and other clinician testimony and medical records, measured Katie's accuracy to be at 97%. It's wild. (laughs) Katie is currently working on a book about what she does as a medical intuitive, her own healing from an eating disorder, Lyme disease, and other serious illnesses, and helping others heal using information from her guides and spirit and using Jungian psychology. So... Without further ado, here is Katie Beecher on Healing the Root Cause of Disease. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I'm really excited to delve into this exploration with you about the work that you do being a medical and spiritual intuitive. And um, I I have so many questions for you. And I'm really excited for the people who are joining us today to also be able to hear about the work that you're doing. Um, So... So let's, let's just get started. Let's jump right in. Let's, let's start with just you and your background and the work that you do and how you got into this.
1: Well, um, a lot of people ask you, what is medical intuition? Mm-hmm. And I am able to see into people's bodies and their psyches, if you will, and their energy and tell them about what's going on, certainly. Um, mm-hmm. And also get into the root causes. So it could be physical things, um, emotional things, spiritual things. A lot of times that has to do with their relationships, or trauma, or childhood experiences, um, with their career paths. Which, with um, you know, trauma, um, everything that you've experienced and everything you're experiencing now can potentially impact. Um, negatively your health and wellness and also positively. So mm-hmm. we look at we look at everything. Or I look at everything. We I say my guides because um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: my guides do most of the work. Um, mm-hmm. But you know we look at everything and then come up with a report that I give to people before I meet with them. It's I just use a name and age. Um, so I create a report and then I create a symbolic painting as mm-hmm. well. I send that to people before our meeting. And then we discuss everything there and what's going on in people's lives. And then we come up with a plan to see what people can do to connect to their intuition um, and strengthen their abilities and um, help remedy you know, the things that aren't going well. Mm. And it's really a whole, whole person approach.
0: Hmm. I'm so curious when you said we you know you're referring to your guides who how does the information um how does it come to you how is it communicated to you how do your guides communicate to you
1: sure um so a lot of people who do this kind of work or medium work or whatever um they know their guides names and things like that um i never have known my guides names i just know that when i see them Um, or when I picture them in my head, if I do meditation and I ask to speak with them, I see kind of a panel. So I'm sitting in a chair and then I see sort of a half circle and I see a lot of people and then I see people behind them. So it's kind of an army of of people guiding me. And I think we all have, we all have guys, we all have people protecting us and and helping us. And I know one of, I think my main one is um, a male who's Native American I think he was kind of high up in whatever he did at some point. And then I know there are, there's a woman who is um, Hispanic in origin. And then there's another um, Native American woman. Um, My grandmother is certainly one of my guides. And, Mm. but I don't ever really see, other than my grandmother, um, I don't really see their faces. Uh, My mom's another guide. So, Most of the time, it's just um, kind of like words in my head, Um, or I will see pictures of something, or I'll see a picture of a word, or I will have a feeling in my own body, um, or I'll see a symbol. So I'm I'm really lucky because I get information in a lot of different ways, Hmm. but it's not like I'll have a big flash of light and you know it's this big mystical experience <laughs> just sort of i have learned to just be open mm-hmm. um, and let the information flow and sometimes it it feels like it's coming from kind of an external source and sometimes it feels like it's just coming from within me and a lot of times, people don't believe that they're connecting to their intuition because it doesn't feel big and mystical and and huge and um mm-hmm. but It doesn't have to. Mm, Did that answer your question? I hope. Yeah. No. Definitely. It's a weird thing thing because it's it's weird to describe.
0: Um, Yeah. Mystical experiences are very hard to describe. To describe. So. They are. Yeah.
1: I wish people have said, you know, how can you be so accurate? How can you do what you do? And I'm I honest to God don't know. I Mm I I wish I could explain it.
0: You know. Um, Yeah. I I'm just grateful. Um,
1: Yeah. hmm. So how did how did it start? When did well, I've always been able to pick up um like beings not beings is not really the right word. I've always been able to pick up other people's thoughts and feelings, um, kind of know what people were thinking. Even as a young child, um, I was, I was really, really super sensitive. Um and I was always able to pick up negativity, so negative people and their feelings. And then I started to be more conscious of being able to pick up just spirits, so if, um, you know, um, kind of people's thoughts and feelings that I knew were not of this world, Okay. and so that was kind of always there, and then um, I became more conscious of picking up like negativity and and evil and things like that, and that really scared me, so Mm -hmm. I turned away from any abilities I had, Mm -hmm. and then I... When I was 16, um, I had bulimia, and I did not ask my parents for help because they really weren't very supportive. I came from a pretty dysfunctional family. But again, I I believe this was divine intervention, and I called our pediatrician and told him what I was doing, and I asked for help, and he gave me the name of a a therapist, Mm -hmm. and I had a job and a car, so I got myself there and, and started working really hard, and she was the person who um, helped me to accept my gifts and my mm-hmm. abilities. I went to a Jungian therapist, and Jung is very accepting of intuition and yes, yeah. you know. So, um, fortunately, part of that therapy is helping you to connect to your intuition and self-love and and self-acceptance and getting to know yourself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, mm-hmm. so that was a big step in that direction, yeah. and then um, became a therapist and started using it in my work, just connecting to intuition and getting, into, getting information about people. Um, and then 10 years ago, my mom got a flu shot and became paralyzed from it. Um, She's since passed away from that. And that changed my life because I took care of her and, and it really turned my life upside down. Mm-hmm. And the work I had been doing really just wasn't that gratifying anymore. And it made me search for other things. And long story short, I took a workshop with a really well-known medical intuitive and discovered that I had these abilities and sort of been, been doing it ever since.
0: Mm, okay.
1: I found a new life purpose in my forties.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so what was it that made you do? I guess different intuitives can take different directions when it goes when it, with their abilities. And so what would you say that your experience um, surviving bulimia and also your experience with your mother passing away, um, is that kind of what guided you towards wanting to work in the medical field?
1: Yes, definitely. When Mm -hmm. I was 16, my guide said, with intuition, self-acceptance, and self-love, you can Mm -hmm. heal from anything. Mm -hmm. So they told me I'd be doing some sort of work, writing the book I'm writing now, everything. And then I've always been interested in medicine. Um, I was, I almost became a doctor, went pre-med, um, but I knew with the belief mm-hmm. that I just wouldn't survive medical school, basically, but I've always really been interested in it. And mm-hmm. that's why I went you know, into the therapy field. Um, but I've always, always been really interested in the body. So it was kind of a natural progression.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. So I'm curious. I want to I wanna get a little bit more into um, the topic that we're going into and that is uh, uncovering the root cause of disease. And I guess throughout your years and all of this experience and everyone that you've been working with, what have you learned as being the the root cause of disease? And um, I think we can look at it almost as the mind, body, spirit sort of connection. Um, And if you were to kind of take that framework, what would you say is the root cause of disease. I know each individual person is very different. Um, It would be another thing is like, what are the patterns that you usually see um, from person to person, something maybe that you've been seeing along the years of of doing this?
1: I have to say that no matter what people come to me for, Mm
0: -hmm. uh,
1: some people come to me, they're not, they don't have any presenting symptoms, they just wanna learn more about themselves and their intuition. But the people who come to me with presenting symptoms, um, it's often physical symptoms. Sometimes it's the emotional. But I honestly have to say that no matter what what they come to me for, I always uncover physical, emotional, and spiritual root causes. So not everybody recognizes that. And a lot of people will just be like, give me or you know, tell me what herbs to use, tell me what supplements to use, or tell me how to fix this. And it always gets down to, well, when did this start? Why did this start? What's been going on in your life? What trauma have you not healed from? Um, There's an awful lot of people who have not been authentic, don't know who they are, um, Mm -hmm. have not been encouraged to be themselves, don't have a voice you know, are in relationships where they're not being treated well, where they know they have to get out and haven't had the courage Mm -hmm. or are waiting until they lose weight or until they feel better or until their financial situation gets better to get out. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And you can't wait, you know, I mean, there's some situations that are just, you know, you don't have the money right now and, and, and things like that, but you can still start taking steps to make your life better. Um, but no matter what, there's always a, a spiritual and emotional component. And I have to say that what I've noticed even in my own life is that so much of it gets down to self-love and self-acceptance and not mm. listening to intuition, you know, really is what my guides told me.
0: Yeah.
1: Because if, if you're doing what's best for you and you're being authentic, your intuition does not have to send you symptoms to get your attention to make changes.
0: Yeah, it's almost like a wake-up call. Your body starts reacting to this wake-up call. Very, very, yes, very Mm -hmm. much. And
1: I'm not saying people cause their own illness, but I think that when you're not listening and you're overworking yourself or you're not taking care of yourself or something like that, your body gives you signals. Your intuition gives you signals and you can choose to listen or not. Yeah, So
0: very true. Hmm. And um, so, I guess can it take form in two different ways? So, with the physical illness, like an actual physical disease, say anything from like chronic pain to cancer. Um, these are diseases that uh, are a man. They manifest within the body, and that's a very uh, It's a very tangible, it's a physical experience. Um, And then what about when it comes to mental health illnesses and those conditions of depression and anxiety and anger? Um, Sometimes I I believe it seems very hard for some people to be able to understand exactly where their depression can come from. You know, you wake up one day and you're sad, but you don't really know why you're sad. Uh, What are the sessions with when you have people who are coming to you for something that's going on emotionally and mentally versus somebody who's coming in to see you for something that's going on physically.
1: I have to say there's not a lot of differentiation. Mm. It really gets down to the same, the same kinds of factors mm-hmm. of, you know, how are you not listening to what you need to do or not loving yourself or not taking care of yourself? Yeah. It can also manifest in the form of accidents you know, um, falling and hurting yourself or, or things like that. Again, it's your body or your intuition giving you signals that you need to pay attention, you need to make changes. And then I've also seen cases where an illness, because especially a chronic illness or a cancer or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, can affect, it affects an entire family. So, or addictions too, like you're impacting an entire family. So entire family systems may need to make changes or, um, and sometimes people will ask about kids, you know, kids getting sick where, um, why does that happen? I'm not going to try to explain why kids get sick or why things happen because I don't have those answers. And and it's certainly real and it it doesn't um, discount these physical things that happen, but I've seen things happen where entire families are changed, you know, and, and they're changed for the better or, or that family ends up, doing incredible things to help um, help maybe millions of people or thousands of people or just their community. So they, these things don't happen in a vacuum and mm. it's really kind of fascinating mm.
0: if mm. you look at it in totality. How is the experience of people or their reactions once you start tracing back exactly where their, their illnesses are coming from? I'm sure a lot of them are like, no, that can't be true or do you see a lot of, uh, kind of doubt or thing. actually not
1: usually more people are like oh wow I never thought of it that way or yeah. sometimes, at first you know sometimes I'll be like I'm not sure why you're asking me that but most people because they come to me they're usually pretty open but yeah. I get a lot of oh I never thought of that or I didn't think those two were connected or wow I have goosebumps or so it's, <laughs> yeah. the reactions are pretty awesome actually
0: yeah yeah but it must it must be um, it must be difficult sometimes, I'm sure, for some people to hear that the root cause of their illness is self-love or self-acceptance. You know, it's really hard to hear because self-love is something that doesn't, you know, it's not in a supplement. You can't, you can't, he- <laughs> you can't heal yourself from self-love or, or love it, yourself through yeah. a pill. So It's um, so
1: hard because when I was getting better from bulimia, that was the hardest part of getting better.
0: Yeah.
1: love myself. You yeah. know, it worked the behavior, it was learning to love myself because I didn't think I was worth it. Mm -hmm. And when you've been taught your whole life that you're not worthy of that or you don't deserve it, people are like, where do I start? How do I, I don't even know who I am. Never mind loving myself. Like, what if I don't like anything about myself? Where do I start? You know, and it's so much easier to just, like you said, take a pill or something and they just think, I don't, how can this even be relevant? I mean, they get it. And that's why sometimes listening to intuition can be so scary -hmm. Because you know what you need to do, but doing what your intuition telling you to do might just be terrifying. But you don't you don't have to listen immediately. You know, you could just be open to it and take baby steps.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's very interesting. And going and going back to just the root cause of disease, I've looked at I love looking at the different philosophies and different approaches that that different different cultures take on. And one that I've looked into has been the Tibetan Buddhist approach on what is the cause of disease. And um, when I was in Nepal back in January, I spent some time with a Tibetan uh, yogi, um, a tantric yogi, and his name is Manche Rinpoche. And one of the things that he told me was that when it comes to an illness and disease the three causes of it are are, uh, karmic debt so this is basically the karma based off of all of all of your previous lifetimes and how that plays into effect into your current life and so maybe something that you did in a past life like for example maybe you told uh you broke a lot of hearts right you're a heartbreaker And then in the next life, I'm not saying that this is what he said, but this is just a really kind of silly example, Um, but you broke a lot of hearts, you're a heartbreaker. And then maybe in the next life you have heart problems, you know? So, I mean, that's just one, one concept of it. So karmic debt, um, and then another one is spiritual attachment. And so he, he explained it as different spirits see they can see a weakness in you or they can see something that they want in you. And so they attach themselves to you and that, and their attachment starts to create this, this disease. Um, and so, and then the third one is, uh, it's karmic diet, spiritual detachment. And I'm blanking on the third one right now. Um. <laughs> Of course, we're yeah, right. <laughs> of course, I blanked on the third one. Um, it'll come back to me later. Um, but yeah, so so he he spoke on it as being three different ways that um, that disease can manifest in the body. Oh, sorry, and the last one. I knew it was coming. <laughs> the last one is our the our external conditions. So the the environment and how that interacts with our physical body. So you can see more of that as being. Something that you can that you can that you can cure if it's something that's within our environment, we can change our environment. Definitely. Um, when it comes to spiritual attachment, maybe someone will go to a shaman or maybe they'll go to uh, a, a priest, uh, you know, maybe for an exorcism or whatever it is. And then karmic debt is something that we have to just work on throughout our lifetime. Like that is our our life goal. That is our mission here. And um, I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts on that? Um, the whole karma thing is
1: fascinating to me. And the whole, you know, reincarnation thing, um, -hmm. is so fascinating to me. And there's been experiences in my life that have made me really believe in that concept. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, no one can prove it, but there's certainly been experiences where I've been like, that makes a lot of sense.
0: Um,
1: as far as the spiritual attachment stuff, um, I think there are conditions that lead to being vulnerable to spirit attachment. And those would be like an addiction where Mm. you have kind of given up yourself um, or where um, severe mental illness um, or where you have openly um, allowed like negative negative spirits into your life. Mm. Now, where I kind of differ on a lot of people is I don't, I think we have a lot more control over our lives and over our energy and of ourselves than a lot of people give us credit for, or some people in this, in this world give us credit for. And one of the things about connecting to intuition is that I learned that as long as I'm connected to love and that I'm always protected. So I control mm-hmm. my energy. And I think that even when you're picking up other people's energy, it doesn't mean that you're actually picking it up or it's connected to you. It's just that you're, you're feeling some of that. So you're in control.
0: Yeah. And,
1: I don't think we need, unless we're in a in a state where we can't control our own energy. I don't think we need anybody else to to break spirit attachments or yeah. to, you know, like I think that's giving your power over to somebody else. And I think there's people yeah. in this line of work, if you will, who want people to be dependent on them, who want you to pay them money to do this work, to do, you know, like you need them and you don't and mm very important part of what I do is empowering people to Mm. listen to their own intuition, to use their own power, you know, to to connect with their own power um, and to find out who they are, you know, to be strong within themselves. So that's my philosophy on that.
0: Mm. Um,
1: and, And then our environment absolutely absolutely impacts us you know like mold and chemicals and i believe in non-toxic living and um and certainly all those things you know so um who who may be susceptible and who may not be susceptible um, certainly depends on the state of your immune system and what you may need to learn spiritually or not learn spiritually but you also bring up a really cool point and there's a lot of cultures who believe in um, something called like a spiritual awakening or spiritual crisis yeah. rather than a mental illness, for example. And the concept of that is that if people who um, are learning about their intuitive gifts um, or having an emotional connection to somebody for the first time, and instead of knowing what that's about or being alert to it, they have what looks like mental health symptoms um, and there's cultures that celebrate that and help people to learn about what is this spiritual awakening instead of our culture where it's like, okay, let's give you medicine and label you with mental illness.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how do, um, how do people connect to themselves when it comes to this, when it really comes to, to healing? And how can people at home, like how do, how do you use your intuition? <laughs> I think that's like one so of one the... Of my- most challenging things for a lot of people. It,
1: it is. It is. Um, one of the concepts that I think is really important is just to be open. Um, intuition and fear can be very confused. So mm-hmm. fear is more something that makes you feel uneasy, makes you feel, feel afraid, you know, um, makes you feel like you maybe shouldn't be listening to this. Whereas intuition is reassuring it may still tell you things that you might be afraid of doing, but it's reassuring, you know, um, it makes you feel safer. Um, it gives you more important, you know, important information, things like mm-hmm.
0: that.
1: Um, one of my favorite techniques for connecting with intuition is doing what I call a written dialogue. This is a Jungian thing. I didn't invent it, but it's writing to your intuition or your body and just asking a question. Or just saying, is there something that you'd like to tell me? So writing that out, the writing part is important. And then just listening for what you hear back Mm -hmm. and writing that down and then writing back to it. And then listening for what you hear again, write that down, write back to it for as long as you feel like doing it. And so you're having a written dialogue, just like you would a friend. And by doing the writing piece, number one, you have to stop what you're doing. So it, what do you mean by that? Well, you can't walk around and write. Most people can't anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, And so you, it, you kind of have to stop what you're doing. It, it helps to filter out a lot of that kind of thought stuff that goes on every day, the overthinking stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the act of writing helps us kind of focus in on what we're asking, what we're listening to. So it becomes a mindfulness meditation. Basically, mm. it's very grounding. Mm. and. It just helps us to connect with that intuitive voice so that you can learn what that voice sounds like, you know, versus like fear or versus just um, thinking about what we need to do that day or, or worrying about your kids or, you know, all that other stuff. Um, and when I do readings with people, I explain in detail how to do that. But that's something that really was instrumental in helping me heal from bulimia.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: helped me my whole life like I still do it
0: yeah yeah it's almost like building trust with yourself again yeah, yeah and I feel like that's I feel like I feel like trusting ourselves is something that we're we're never really taught to do I feel like as we grow up in our culture and just the social construct almost teaches us to always believe in something outside of ourselves it tells us to believe in someone else it tells us to believe in the doctor like the doctor knows best and you know of course the doctor does know <laughs> you know i'm not saying that the doctor doesn't know but um but there are so many it's we're just every day we're, we're grown up to believe in listening to some someone else or something else and yeah. so this is really i feel like the writing what you're suggesting is a training it's training ourselves to listen to our voice again and to to trust ourselves and, um, and that's where the magic happens. I feel like that's when you really start to see change. I noticed that whenever I journal, that's when, whenever I'm stuck on something, I just start writing and that's when my answer comes. Exactly, yeah,
1: yeah. it's there's a big difference between trying to do it in your head and trying to do it in writing. Um, yeah. When you're not able to write though, um, doing the writing does help you to be able to listen in your head as well, so.
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: you know, but it's just kind of being open and allowing those thoughts and those feelings instead of pushing them down and being afraid of them.
0: Yeah, it's very true. And another question I have for you is, I know that something that you said before was that um, we have the ability to, for us to, for our bodies to manifest an, an illness or a disease. And so one thing that I've always been looking into is you know you know Joe Dispenza have you, have you yeah you have the chance to look into some of his stuff and he talks about placebo effect and he also sure. talks about the nocebo effect and how our minds are powerful enough to be able to create diseases and they're also but they're but it's also uh, very powerful where we in our brains we have our own pharmacopoeia where we can create and all of these chemicals where we can start to facilitate healing in ourselves yep. um, and even when it comes to nocebo so nocebo effect is where you also get the the negative or the harmful effects so if you go to there have been studies of um a cancer patient you know they've never received chemotherapy before and the doctor starts explaining to them what's going to happen to them, you know, what they can expect. And then in the car on the way to their first chemotherapy session, they're already experiencing nausea. They already start, you know, throwing up. It's because it's been ingrained in their head right. that this is going to happen. And then their body starts reacting. So true. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And, and how do, I mean, when it comes to, writing and listening to your body and listening to yourself to heal yourself. Um, that's one way to do it. And then what about the one way of just thinking?
1: I have seen so many cases of people who have both healed themselves and made themselves worse. I know somebody who needed a, was told they would need a liver transplant because their liver stopped working. And it was irreversible. And through thoughts and determination, mm-hmm. they not only got off all medication, but they did not need a liver transplant. Their liver damage started reversing itself. And this is ten years later. They're still here, and they're healthier than ever. So,
0: yeah.
1: I mean, that's an extreme case, but it's yeah. you know, it's real. I mean, yeah. it's it's real. So, um, and then also people who. For whatever reason either didn't feel they were worthy of, of healing or were afraid of what healing would mean. A um, great example is someone who, this is kind of a composite, but, um, and I can think of people who maybe were in a really, um, in an abusive relationship, you know, or or in a relationship that um, they needed to get out of for whatever reason, and they were very sick. So they were they were tied to that relationship and that economic situation. Mm-hmm. And I would say, well, what do you wanna do when you get better? You know, how do you envision your life? And they were so terrified of what that would mean, you know, getting out on their own, um, maybe going back to school, maybe starting the business they wanted to start, or whatever, they were so terrified of that 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 state, um, kept them sick, mm. you know, so our minds and our psyches are very, very powerful things.
0: Yeah, it's very true. I was reading, uh, about a man who he, uh, he was diagnosed with lung cancer and he ended up, um, the doctor gave, told him that he was going to die in eight months. And so the doctor told him, uh, he, sorry, he told the doctor, you all I want to do is I want to make it to, until Christmas. Can you try and keep me alive until Christmas? And the doctor like, I'll try as much as I want, as I can. And so come Christmas time, the guy ends up going back to visit, visiting his doctor. And the doctor, they do a chest X-ray and they find that the man has pneumonia. And the, and so once he found that out, he started to prepare himself to die because the doctor had told him he was going to die. His family started preparing for his death. You know, everyone was really getting ready planning his funeral, doing all this thing. And then with the pneumonia, it was almost like, you know, it, 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 it almost it kicked, it, it kicked it off even more. Everyone's just right, expecting right. him to die. And, um, and then two weeks later, he passes away. And when they did the autopsy on his body, they realized that it wasn't the cancer that actually caused him to die. Yep. It wasn't, they, they checked the chest x-rays again, and the x-rays were actually incorrect. He didn't actually have pneumonia. And what they ended up concluding was that he didn't die of any illness. He died from pure thought of Because it was it. Christmas. He was gonna die, yeah. Because everybody in his environment believe that he was going to die, that it it just, it, it happened, you know? Um, and that's kind of a scary thing. It's, it's really scary when, when you're sick, you know, my dad, he, he passed away from stage four lung cancer and, and brain cancer. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, um, thank you. Um, but when he, he died, the only thing that really kept him alive was the fact that, he was so strong and the support system that that he had around him especially me you know i always i I never i never tried to treat him like he was sick i always told him no you're fine you're fine you're gonna be okay and i really believe that that just changing that mindset is what really helped him so when i had lyme disease
1: i found out that i had lyme i had every co-infection under the sun i had chronic fatigue virus um i probably had it since i was a kid because i grew up next to lyme connecticut And at first I was really scared. And then I decided I'm not going to be a patient. I'm not going to label any of my symptoms with my, so I'm not going to take ownership. I'm not Mm going to use the word Lyme. Um, You know, I did everything I needed to, I dressed it, whatever, but I was able to recover without antibiotics. I recovered quickly, um, fully recovered. I happened to have somebody who was very, very, very good at what they did and has been dealing with Lyme since before Lyme was a thing. Um, And then I addressed all the spiritual stuff. I addressed the emotional stuff and the nutritional stuff. And, But I'm just like, I'm not having this and I'm getting better and I'm not going to be a patient. I'm not going to be a line whatever. You know what I mean? I'm just not doing
0: that. So Mm -hmm. I know my attitude made a big difference. Mm. And so you said not really identifying with the disease. Right. Right. It's not claiming it. Because once you claim it, then it's it's like it's yours, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm not Mm -hmm. a patient. I'm not that doesn't identify me.
0: Yeah, yeah. And how long, I, say, I guess with your patients, um, your, sorry, your clients, the, the people that you see, when it comes to, how do you, diag- when you, after you have diagnosed them, what is the prescription for them usually? So
1: um, legally and ethically, I can't
0: diagnose. I'm not a, I'm okay.
1: not a um, but what I do is I will identify symptoms or mm-hmm. identify things that I, I see traits, characteristics, whatever things in their past. And then they will often confirm what I've, what I've identified. Um, sometimes they don't know of something and I will identify that or whatever. And then at that point, we will talk about what can we do about these things? So spiritually, emotionally, um, what can we do to help make these things better? What lifestyle changes do you need to make? Um, you know, do I continue to work with you in terms of counseling type of stuff or spiritual guidance type of stuff? Um, What supplements and dietary changes, what nutritional changes can we do? Um, And then as far as like anything sort of medical, there's a lot of, there's some physicians and people that I work with or I help them find, mostly alternative practitioners um, who can verify what I've found Um, do additional testing and then do some like treatment type stuff as well so I I like the concept of working with a team because you know I physically I can't medically treat them obviously Mm -hmm. but I can you know make suggestions but I like it when I hear from people oh yeah we did this testing and guess what all the stuff that you told me was there was there and, and this is you know um, wow, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's it's important. Because I don't ever want someone to substitute my intuition for theirs. You know, I don't ever want to tell somebody, I I feel like you've been sexually abused and they don't feel like they have. Like, that's not fair. And, and people do that, you know, um, mm-hmm. just not okay. Mm-hmm. And so working as a team then helps me have a team approach with people. And it's it's pretty great.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you... What do conventional allopathic doctors usually say about the work you do? I'm sure once they, once they realize that their patient, you know, you said the right thing, and they test them, they're like, what?
1: Well, <laughs> you most people person. I work with are not
0: allopathic.
1: Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, but more and more people are open to it, especially mm-hmm. you know, if I have to go to a regular doctor and they ask what I do, and I explain it, they're like, oh, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. So that's kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, tend to not go to people who wouldn't be open to it anyway, um, but yeah, it's, 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 pretty, it's pretty gratifying and, and cool, and um, because of my clinical background, I'm also a licensed counselor, it was really important to me to have what I do um, proven, so not a great word, but so um, I did a little mini-study, and it was published in a peer-reviewed journal, the editor is an MD, and we pulled um, we did like a, a quiz study type thing, about 72 of my clients, um, and asked them um, you know how much of my findings were accurate, what wasn't, that kind of thing. And then we also had a group of them who um, got their records from their doctor um, and sent them to me and gave me permission to send them to the doctor and have the doctor comment on, on things and my accuracy. So um, I was found to be 97 percent accurate with this group of people which was pretty cool and then it got published in this person's journal so that was really important to me to get Mm. information out there and a lot of other uh, medical intuitives and people thanked me for doing that because it helps to you know give what we do some credibility and there's not there's not a lot of research out there about medical intuition or when I was looking for studies I found some things about nursing and intuition which Mm. was great but there's I couldn't find anything about physicians and intuition, which was really kind of sad to me. Um, But most nurses are females, so is it more acceptable for females to have intuition and use it? Uh, (laughs) You know, there's that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm curious, have you ever worked with doctors and helping them with their intuition?
1: as far as helping them use it for like clients and things like yeah. that. Yeah, and I, I, a lot of people will send me cases where they're just like, these people aren't getting better, there's more to this. You know, can you, can you help me look into this more? Um, it, are there spiritual and emotional things going on? So, so that's very fun. Um, yeah. I work with the person who helped me with Lyme a lot in that regard. So, um, but yeah, that would be really interesting. That would be a fun, fun thing to do. Definitely.
0: Yeah, yeah, it would be. I I actually went to uh, I went to an integrative medicine healthcare conference in San Diego last year. And one of the one of the um the speakers there, she, she spoke on medical intuition. And everyone that was there in the room was filled with MDs. And so I do think that this is something that's growing, and I think that a lot of these doctors are starting to open up and realize that a lot of the things that they were trained in in medical school can only go so far. You know, there's a limit to it. And there is something that's just so innate in ourselves being humans that we can connect to. And I think that once, I think everyone in the medical field, nurses and and doctors, and um, once they're able to connect to that, Yeah, gosh, I can only imagine.
1: I think all the best doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners, all those, the best best of them already are using their intuition. You know, I really do. And they may not label it intuition, but Mm. I I think that they may label it as experience or whatever, but I I really think it's their their medical intuition because we all have it.
0: Yeah.
1: We all have it. If If you start to get a symptom, you have to decide, is this bad enough to go to the doctor? Or do I take a pill? Do I need to rest? Like you're using your medical intuition. All the time
0: yeah yeah that is very true has there ever been a time when m- maybe what you said to someone it actually wasn't true or maybe it didn't work or maybe the or the treatment that they ended up doing after seeing you was just unsuccessful and you've had to come go back they've had to come back to you and you've had to continue to work on them um or any time where um what you originally had thought was the root cause of their disease ended up not being it, the thing that you originally had thought it was. There's been
1: a few really, really tough cases um, where where I knew they were very, very tough cases where people have had things for a long time or um, they literally tried, you know, Everything and, and it hasn't happened a lot, fortunately, but there's been a, t- a very few number um, who the things that I suggested maybe helped a little, you know, or, mm-hmm. or they um, they helped some, but they didn't solve the problem, and maybe the problems weren't solvable, you know, maybe it was just it was just too difficult, or the case was too difficult, um, mm-hmm. and or the practitioners that I sent them to weren't able to help either, you know, people I have a lot of faith in. Um, And I can probably count those on one finger um, that I know of. Sometimes you may not know, you know, Um, but those are difficult. Those are really difficult because I, I really care about what I do. Mm -hmm. And I, I really set out to help people. And there's, there's some cases where maybe in the first session, um, I'm not able to pinpoint exactly what's going on. And in those cases, um, I may meet with them again and not charge them for a second session because maybe I wanna spend some time with my guides outside of that. And then we meet again and I'm like, okay, this is what I, you know, think more of what's going on. And um, and then we make some headway, you know? Um, but, and sometimes like the reports and even the information I get can be difficult to interpret for me because I get information for people that they're related to or people they care about or people they're thinking about. So I always, Kind of have to ask if this piece of information doesn't sound accurate for you, does it relate to somebody you know or family history or something like that so um, that's why we, we discuss the reports in a lot of detail because so I've learned just to like accept the information and then we'll talk about it later um, instead of you know um, overthinking it myself
0: yeah yeah
1: um, yeah it doesn't it doesn't happen a lot but it's really hard when I'm not able to to help people, but it it does happen, sure
0: mm. and then what about for like you said some more of the severe cases um, so say like let's take my dad, for example, uh lung cancer you know this is sure. this is something that that really runs deep, and I think that one thing is that there are so many i guess the root cause of disease there's not. Maybe not always we can just narrow it down into one, one thing, and that there's so many other causative factors that influence our health. And there's layers upon layers upon layers that sometimes it must be difficult for you to have to navigate and understand, all right, which one is it? Like how do we work through that? You know, I'm sure it's yeah. it's really con- it must be difficult. It's often challenged.
1: also It's usually yeah. not just
0: um. Yeah.
1: But even, you know, you're making a good point because there's people who come to me in very advanced stages of disease sometimes and I know that they're not going to make it. And mm-hmm. I don't say that to them. Um, I, I'm very honest with people, but at the same time, I'm not going to be like, yeah, you're, I feel like you're not going to make it because then I'm robbing them of that possibility. You know, it's like yeah. what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, so, but if I know that, so maybe my job in that case isn't to save them. Maybe it's to to help them resolve some things they need to resolve before they go or help them resolve some relationships that are difficult or make peace with some things or you know maybe that's my job. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I try to just let the sessions go as they're meant to go um, and not put my own agenda into them and, and really try and listen to them and figure out what they need and what they want. Um, mm-hmm.
0: Wow, I'm sure that must be really challenging for, to hear, you know, for the message to be that they're not going to make it.
1: I mean, yes and no. I think, you know, I've been a therapist for 30 years. Um, yeah. so I kind of understand I'm, I'm certainly not in charge. We're not in charge. And I, I don't think of death necessarily as something horrible, um, for the person who's, who's going, I, I very much feel for the people, are going to miss that person and, and be grieving Sorry, mm. um, <laughs> and grieving. Um, but I think that for those people who are in pain who have been sick for a long time you know maybe it's something they want something they're ready for
0: mm.
1: you know so and even people who um, are in the throes of addiction or there's a lot of reasons people are in pain and sometimes that pain can be their greatest gift because it's huge motivations for change you know, my job isn't, isn't to take away that pain. Mm. It's to figure out what can I do to help enable you so that you get better and you love yourself and feel good about things.
0: Mm. Wow. Yeah. And, um, hmm. This brings me to another question that I have. <laughs> it's, um, what, what is death? <laughs> what is the dying process? I'm sure you have an interesting perspective on this. Um,
1: I guess um, I do think I definitely know that we don't just die. You know, it's not just a final thing. Um, I can certainly communicate with people who have passed. I know that they're still with us. Um, like I said, I have reason to believe in reincarnation um just because i've hypnotized people and have them have had them tell me things about past life things that are there's so much detail you know and there's so much um if it's not their reincarnation experience it's it's one hell of a accurate movie you know Mm. um it's it's pretty fascinating stuff so i think it's just we're here to do whatever we need to do, and we can be open to the lessons we're here to learn or not, and if we're not open to that, then we have to keep coming back, um, and that can be different for everybody. I think everybody evolves, um, mm. you know, um, but I don't know. I just, I don't think it's, I don't look at it as necessarily a bad thing because um, I think you go somewhere where you're not in pain anymore if if you were you know you're not in pain and you're with people you love and um, if you're lucky you know yeah. I, I, think. <laughs> um, I do believe in a purgatory type place or I do believe that your life is is shown to you and you have to to deal with what you've done when you were here you know mm-hmm. I do think it's there's a forgiving God and forgiving spirits and all that kind of stuff but but there's no action without other actions, you know. There's there is karma, and there there are um, there are consequences. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That
1: way. you know, you can't hurt people without having to deal with that in some way.
0: Yeah, yeah, mm, that is very true. Um, and so, I guess on more of a light sided um, conversation. What would you say has been your most interesting moments or your most fun or even most mystical experiences? So one of my very favorites
1: is I was doing a reading for a five-year-old boy who was severely autistic. He didn't speak. And I didn't know anything except that he was five. And I knew his name. And I was doing a report in painting. Um, So I sat down to do his painting. And normally my paintings are of something recognizable, like a figure, um, a plant, an animal, something like that. And my guides told me to draw a fire truck. I'm like, okay. (laughs) So it was a fire truck, there was a fireman guy on the top and he was shooting water into this really tall building and there was flames coming out of the building and all that. And I was trying, I I saw a hose on the side of the truck and I was trying to draw the hose and I couldn't and I just made an S. And I said to myself, is this Superman's fire truck? What is this? This is really weird. But I know enough to just let it go and let it happen. Fine. So I sent it to my client. And with tears in her eyes, she said, can you explain what this drawing is about? And so I told her exactly what I told you. She said, right before I had my son, we had a horrible fire. I I lived in an apartment building. Um, um, We were on one of the top floors. We lost everything. And she said, I was absolutely devastated and thought my life was over. Um, Didn't want to live anymore. Went into this huge depression. And then I found out that I was pregnant with my son and that pregnancy saved my life and having him, you know, as challenging as it is, he's just, he has saved my life. And I wanted people and his influence to, to understand um, how he made me feel and how much, how much good he's brought into my life. And I wanted other people to be able to feel that. And she said, um, he was my Superman. And she said, um, his middle name is actually Superman's middle name. Uh... So when I said Superman to her, she was just like bawling, you know? Um, and I had goosebumps and it takes a lot for me because I've done this, you know, so many times, but I was like, wow.
0: Wow. So
1: that was a really, that was, that was quite a wild one, I have to say. Yeah. That was one of my more, more meaningful
0: ones that, you know, that really stands out. Mm. Um, And why do you think that specifically, that message specifically came to her for that set, for her session?
1: um, That's a really good question. Mm. Maybe because I, what my guides are telling me now is that obviously caring for her son, you know, being so profoundly autistic is unbelievably challenging and, you know, on a daily basis, I mean, that's just such a difficult thing and she worries about him so much and, um, and I think maybe it just reinforced how much he, he means to her and what a gift he is Um, and she had, the reading for him because she was worried about his future and was worried about symptoms that he was having and so it was such a positive part of the reading mm. you know everything's positive anyway and and uplifting and and things like that but it it was such a it was such a positive thing and I think it was there to reinforce just you know all of the wonderful things about him for her
0: yeah and I think that's what people need to hear sometimes I think that can almost be the one thing that can help facilitate someone's healing is just, yeah, remembering something just so positive in their life. exactly. Yeah. That's why yeah. it's like the practice of gratitude is just so important um, yeah. on our health and our and our and our healing.
1: Hmm. yeah, like the person I worked with just before I had this call with you, she said, this is I haven't helped felt help, hopeful. I haven't felt hopeful for a long time and she said that this is such a gift to be able to feel that way and I was like yay I did my job you know oh
0: yeah oh wow well what you're doing is so incredible if you could give one piece of advice to someone or a lot of many of us who are suffering from um you know mental health and both physical health uh illnesses what would you What advice would you offer them? And what could you give to the world? (laughs) I think what comes to mind is
1: is self-love, is really work on loving and accepting yourself exactly the way you are now. You don't have to change. There's nothing wrong with you. Don't wait until... You feel like you have to meet some sort of standard. You know, you are level right now. You don't have to weigh a certain amount. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to whatever, just start now. And it's, it's little baby steps. It's not gonna happen overnight, but listen to the way that you talk to yourself. Pay attention to your thoughts. Pay attention to how you treat yourself, the little things, and just start with one thing one little thing that you're gonna change and that's where it starts. You know, people always say, well, I don't feel lovable. How can, I, how can I love myself? I don't like anything about me. Just dig deep, find one thing, color of your eyes, like find, find one little thing, ask your friends, ask somebody who likes you, go with what they say in this case, you know, like find something, just grab onto something and allow yourself to do that. And it, it really does start with just that little bit of love. You know, treat yourself the way you treat your best friends mm. and allow themselves to love you, allow them to love you. You know, I think that's, if we all did that, I think that we would be so much more accepting of others as well, because I think a lot of intolerance and racism and wars and come from not liking ourselves and just this inner anger and inner fear. And if we loved ourselves more, we could accept others more.
0: Mm. It's very powerful. It's definitely something I need to hear. And I'm sure a lot of other people need to hear. All of us need it. All of us need to just love ourselves. And I think that what you said is just a really beautiful um, reminder of that. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And so if somebody... I guess we have a, a, just a, a few more questions I have is, um, if someone's trying to book a session with a medical intuitive, you know, there's people say snake oil salesman out there. Um, and I'm sure there's, you know, there's a lot of that, you know, I've, I've tried to filter through it as well. When looking for a psychic sure. or medium or an intuitive, um, what, what would you say that people should look out for when trying to find one?
1: Um, well, I think one of the reasons why I do mind the way I do, um, in just getting a an name and age, sending you a report sooner is because I can't BS it. You know, I can't fake that information. Um, I've had people say, well, you can just look people up on Google or you can go on their, their Facebook pages or something. And. None of the information that I pull up or have on the report is something that's, that's on social media. A lot of my clients don't even have it, you know, or, or it's um, blocked or something. So it's all like, it's all like incredibly personal. And there's like a hundred pieces of information. You can't get that from looking somebody up or, or whatever. So, um, and you can go to my website, you can look up reports, you can ask me questions. Mm -hmm. Um, I like when people ask me questions and say, well, stuff like that, you know, how do I know what you do is real? Or that's why I did that study. Yeah. For example, you know, I'm I'm really open to things. Um, the fact that I'm a licensed counselor, so I have that license. I have that credibility. Um, what I do is really important. If somebody's making claims that just seem too good to be true, or saying that that they're going to heal you, you know, mm-hmm. or that you they need that you need them. To remove attachments or that you need them to heal you or something like that like you don't you know you don't like i'm i'm a facilitator but i don't want to make anybody dependent on me Mm -hmm. um i've had people say that um medical intuitives or other other people will want like you to commit to a whole mess of sessions and a whole mess of money and stuff like that and it's like let's have one session see how it goes See what happens, you know. Like I don't push people into things. Um, so, and also just like listen to your intuition. If if a person doesn't feel right, or you know, try to get like look at the reviews. Like I have tons of reviews. Other people do too. So look at their reviews. Yeah. Look at like you know like tangible things.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like that.
1: Um. So just kind of go with how your what your gut says and
0: yeah. Use you know, your
1: intuition. <laughs> your intuition, but I think I think empowerment is a really important important thing um and um and yeah and if somebody's like asking you a lot of questions before this session like is that medical intuition or are they just getting information <laughs> you know what i mean
0: yeah <laughs> yeah uh, okay you know, just stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really good. Well, I mean, you have tons of amazing reviews. I know that um, a lot of your work has just been everywhere and um, you are very credible in your, both your background and just everything that you do and the way that you deliver the information to people. So if anybody wanted to book a session with you, how can they find you? My website, um,
1: it's Katie Beecher, B-E-E-C-H-E-R, um, katiebeecher.com just go on there and you can book right there. Um, you can also, you know, ask me questions from there and stuff as well. There's different options. Um, but yeah, my website, um, you can follow me on Instagram and
0: all that good stuff too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my website's the easiest way. Awesome. Thank you so much, Katie. Oh, this has been so much fun. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, man. I've had such a great time. Thank you so just for being so honest and open and, and, and loving in the way that you deliver all of your messages and everything. So,
1: oh, you're yeah. so sweet. You're very, very welcome. My pleasure.
0: All right, friends, thank you for listening to this episode with Katie Beecher. I appreciate all of you out there for listening, and make sure to check us out at zayamed.com to get early access to our platform, learn about upcoming events, and see what we're up to. Much love to you all. Take care of yourselves out there.